This episode of Ask the Masters podcast is brought to you by Universal Cement. Hi, I'm Jamie Dykes with Universal White Cement, and you're listening to Ask the Masters podcast. Today on Ask the Masters, stay tuned as we figure out what the best practices for swimming pool plaster are with Master David Penton, Master Grant Smith, as they interview past president of the NPC, Mr. Alan Smith. This is part one of a two-part series that you will not want to miss. Be sure to check back next week for the conclusion of this two-part series. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Masters podcast. This podcast is dedicated to discussions about the design and construction of water shapes. The hosts of the show are all certified SWD masters who represent the leading builders and designers within the water shaping industry today. All right, welcome into the show today. Uh, I'm Dave from Fluid Dynamics. We got Grant here. Introduce yourself, Grant. I'm Grant with Aquamine Pools and Spas. And uh, back by popular demand, we have Alan Smith back. Uh, the, the, the previous podcast did so well that we wanted to have you back on and really kind of dive a little bit more. So so for, for those that hadn't listened to that podcast, kind of reintroduce yourself to the, to the uh, folks. Alan Smith, uh, owner of Alan Smith Pool Plastering out of Orange, California. Uh, I've been plastering pools since 1974 and owned my own business since 81 and uh, love the business. Cool. And, yeah. and about how much work do you do in a so, year, like annually? How many pools are you plastering? Um, well, we actually uh, will probably do about six to 700 renovations. Our business is probably renovation. But uh, of our renovation work, maybe 20% of it's plastering, all the rest of it's hardscape and decking and plumbing and blah, blah, blah. But uh, we really run one primary crew and then uh enough guys to do you know four small pools a day if we need to but yeah we're not a high volume plaster company at all sure okay um one of the things that really wanted to get in uh and, and talk about today um you know on the facebook page it seems like the 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 questions about plaster issues and and discoloration and things so i I thought we'd really kind of dive into a little bit of those kind of what you see what other plasters are doing wrong uh and just kind of managing expectations and and that kind of thing and and just kind of pick your brain you've been doing this so long and just kind of understand how we manage those expectations for our clients yeah very good we'll ask away um Go ahead, Grant. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, one of the biggest things that I run into and what I see on a lot of Facebook pages is, you know, or I'll read a lot about is like when guys are trawling plaster, uh, you know, you can actually see some of them like throwing water on the plaster and trawling it. Uh, it's my understanding that that's not a good thing. So could you kind of elaborate on why that's not a good thing and, and, and why you shouldn't do that? Okay. Well, a lot of the information I get isn't just because I've done a lot of pools. Uh, a lot of people have and there's a lot of good information and bad information and misinformation and all that um, basing most of my comments is going to be off of years and years of research with the national plasters council and and uh, learning from all those good folks you know we have a, a technical manual which is a guide for best practices for the trade now as far as throwing water on it i mean um, plaster is not like concrete Plaster is a very thin application of a cement coating. Concrete, you don't add water to it because it's a thick body of cement. It has a reservoir of water in it already, and a lot of it gets pushed up when the aggregate goes down and you get bleed water. Plaster, on the other hand, smooth troweled plaster, is, uh, doesn't have that body of moisture in it uh, to come out quite the same. And um, 
when you put plaster on shotcrete, gunite, or whatever, uh, you have a lot of things going on because it is so thin. You have moisture being direct, taken out from the backside, you have moisture from the top side, and you have internal drying. Well, um, adding lubricating water is what we're calling it. What you're saying, throwing water on, is typically a brush or a sponge. Right. And it's normally put on in either what we call the lay down or the finish uh, troweling, which is the last two passes out of maybe four to six passes. And what that's there is that's to lubricate the trowel so when it is compressing and being pushed down, it doesn't drag open aggregate mm. to uh, create an open pore. And it lubricates it. And that's a totally acceptable uh, trade practice. Um, it's called the supplemental water. It is, it is uh, um, mm. you know, extra water being put on. It's not actually being introduced to the mix at all. Uh, we have a white paper out explaining exactly how that happens and why, and it's completely accepted by ACI and everybody else. So you hear people say, oh, you can't do that, but what are they basing it on? Yeah. I mean, that's just a, a throw-out right. that, comment. That's, that's the reason why I brought it up, because we ran into a problem where the somebody came out and said, well, that was the reason why you know, something went wrong with the plaster was because they had sprayed water on it or, you know, brushed it on or whatever. So um, I think that's a huge misconception out there, you know. Well, spraying water on would be. I well, mean, to get technical with the yeah, turn right, or even yeah. brushing it, they right. just, like we have a brush with a little reservoir and it has, just holds water and you sprinkle a little bit on to add a little lubrication so right. the trial doesn't drag. And or sometimes you have to, you got a spot, you actually have to bring a little cream up more and you get your brush and you kind of drag it around right. a little bit to bring that cream up to yeah. smoothen out an open pore area. Right. Well, there seems to be a big disc. I mean, that's a, you got a lot of people that think that is bad and people think it's good. So I'm glad you're here explaining it so you can actually set the record straight. And, and we have uh, in our, one of our white papers, I think it's number five, uh, explains that in detail and the science behind it and all this, you know, we have like 30 different references. Mm you know, pointing out why that's okay. And um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, okay. but if you put too much water on too early right, or for the wrong reasons, um, you know, uh, it can be detrimental by leaving, f you know, fat streaks and cream things, or especially on a colored plaster. If you do too much at the wrong time, you can leave like high, lighter highlights because that fat will dry up a little bit lighter than the base material itself and it can leave a little bit of a stain right. possibly mm -hmm. but to be able to come in and look at a pool afterwards and see something and just make that call right. without knowing well I mean, especially when it's two or three years you know or even five years later i mean that's uh well i i i'm a pretty good finisher myself and um uh, several years ago i was uh in the pool with the guys actually i was doing the spa and uh, i trailed the spa when it was done it looked like acrylic it was like it looked perfect right well, I, I didn't use any water on this uh, because it was overcast, it was driving super slow, it was kind of moist, and I used a plastic trowel for the very last finish to knock the bubbles out. And uh, sure enough, the thing spot etched and etched really bad, and about three years later, um, got a call, we told them what it was, they didn't believe us, they got an expert out there, and they said, well, you use too much calcium and too much supplemental water. Well, I trialed it myself, and I didn't use any right. supplemental water, yeah. and the calcium level was so low in it, had nothing to do with it. So it was just an arbitrary uh, comment somebody mm -hmm. made on what they thought they knew mm -hmm. it was. Right. There really wasn't any way to substantiate it, and I, I knew for sure what it was. So. Right. Yeah, one of the things uh, that, that I do personally on my pools is that um, 
right before plaster, uh, usually typically 24 hours beforehand, I send my boys out there and we pressure wash. Whether it's clean yet or not, um, we pressure wash and pressure wash and pressure wash because I want to get water impaled into the surface. You, you mean the, the shell itself the before plaster? The shell itself before plaster because, you know, you, it, it's still concrete and you want that saturated surface dry. And, and, you know, oftentimes you see a pool that's been sitting for, you know, six months on new construction and it's dry as a bone mm -hmm. and you guys show up and it's, it's sort of almost a lost cause. You know, you guys are chasing your tail because that, that shock crater substrate is going to pull that moisture out so quickly. Well, God bless you for doing that because uh, that's always one of our biggest things. You can come out to a, a, a gunite or shotcrete pool, start plastering and you have hot spots and wet spots and right next to each other. One spot's drying so fast, you know, in 15, 20 minutes, it's rock hard next to a spot that's going to take three hours to dry because of that lack of uniformity and moisture within the shell. And so by pre-wetting these down, uh, power washing is even better because you're getting all the, the grit out of the pore so you have a better bonding uh, mechanism. But just to introduce consistent water through it, I mean, every plaster in the world would love that. I mean, we do that on our remodels. We have an exposed anything uh, we try to introduce moisture to that ahead of time for uh uniformity and drying and that create that really helps you a lot on your final product too yeah and especially i mean you can do it with a hose um, we choose to do it with a pressure washer because then you have the pressure uh, and we're actually you know pushing that water in a little bit deeper uh, you know we're not etching anything or but but uh, you know at the very least um, you know keep it moist the day before mm -hmm. and, and we never plaster i, I never plaster on mondays uh, because i know that my crew needs to be out there 24 hours before if i do that on friday by Monday, that shell is pretty dried out again already. So that's, uh, you know, that's that's just one of the things that that I do with my guys. Well, that's that's some pretty incredible detail you're doing to that. I I don't know if I, you know, 24, 48 hours, any kind of moisture into that shell consistently for several weeks, if possible, really really helps. Sure. You know, and I mean, if you want to do it 24 hours beforehand, what if you do get it too wet, then you have leakers, you have water right. coming back through the shell. So you have to get it wet, but don't oversaturate it and know how to do that properly. And then, uh, but yeah, no, that would be awesome. That would really help a lot. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> good shot creed is always the first step, right? So. Well, it helps, <laughs> right? Hi, I'm Grant Smith with Ocklink Pools and Spas. Today we have the pleasure of having Jamie Dykes from Universal Cement in here. Jamie, it's great to have you. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. Um, you know, you guys have been doing a really cool thing with this Ask the Masters. I kind of follow along and then when I got asked to actually be on the show, it was quite an honor. So thank you for having me. Well, great. Glad to have you here. I use your product, Universal White Cement. Uh, you know, I've used, uh, uh, especially the commercial white quartz. I've used it on a couple pools where the homeowner specifically wanted like a white plaster, not a pebble or, or a microfusion or anything. And uh, you wanted to use that white commercial quartz because we were it's a really complex project and we're can't leaving it off a hill. Um, so I didn't want to ever, you know, have to replaster in the next 20 years or so. Yeah. So tell us about a little bit more about the commercial white quartz and, um, you know, what's in it and then also about some of your other products. Sure. So the commercial quartz is just one of our many products. Um, Universal white cement is really the foundation of all of our products. Uh, back in the 90s when the big cement crisis happened and we had all these failing pools, um, my boss, Randy Lilenquist, uh, he was a pool plaster, so he wanted to create a cement that was um, not only strong and durable, but also super great for the installers, great workability, trialability. Um, so that's kind of how Universal White Cement got its start. 
from there, he just started adding the different aggregates as uh, time evolved. You know, you had uh, finest finish white, which was our marble plaster blend, and then through the years, quartz, um, pebbles. You know, the different types of technologies he would adapt to him by to them by pre-blending our cement with those different types of aggregates. So. In particular, um, the commercial quartz that you're using is a blend of um, our universal cement, which has uh, poslin and polymer additives to strengthen it up, um, an ultra white marble sand, and a quartz aggregate. So, you know, when you're comparing to a traditional pool plaster, when you're using a standard cement pool mix, you're getting probably around 3,500 or 4,000 psi strength. Um, because we pre-blend our products with our universal cement and additives, we're getting products like the commercial quartz, which is close to like 9,600 psi strength, wow. which is insane. Yeah. So um, the, the poslins really take out the porosity of these finishes and keep them super wa watertight and right. less prone to chemical attack. So right. that's kind of the beauty. We call it the magic is in the mix because right. we take all these ingredients and mix them together for you. So you don't have to worry about it at all. Right. <laughs> and that's the great thing is like, you know, a lot of, a lot of plasters or pebble plasters, you know, you have to like use the, the, this many bags of the pebble, this many bags of cement and everything, mix it all in the mixer. Right. Your product's all pre-blended. So you just, it comes all in one bag and you just put it, mix it with water and you're, you're good to go. Correct. Yeah, yeah, so you know we call it a job site mix. When right. you're getting uh, the recipes, a couple bags of black, a couple bags of white, this many bags of cement, uh, there's some room for error there. Uh, with our products, we take the cement, we take the aggregate. Uh, if there's glass in the finish, we take the glass, the abalone shell, everything aside from the pigment, and we put it in one bag. So when your applicator is getting it, there's no guesswork. He's putting 12 bags of that material plus the pigment. He's getting the batches and also the homeowner is really assured that what we're saying is going in the mixer is actually going in the mixer. So. Right, yeah. And that's the great thing, I think, especially the, your microfusion. Um, you know, those pebbles are just so small. How do you guys get those things as, as small as air with the microfusion? Is it just your process that you do is, uh, at, the, at the plant or? Right, so um, we have a quarry that um, the micro pebble comes from. Um, and the, the really what makes that micro product work and why we're the only ones that have a micro product this far is because of the cement. Um, we have to have a high performance cement to hold those mm -hmm. rocks in right. and keep them from washing out. And if you don't have that, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a product that doesn't work as well. So right. we've really um, captured the market market with our micro pebble finishes. They're very uh, unique. They're one of a kind. You always have those homeowners who they want that strength and durability of the pebble finish, right. but they always have that friend or cousin or somebody that has sure. a crappy pebble pool right. finish that <laughs> scratched up their feet, you know, right. which we know it shouldn't be like that, but that's kind of what we're dealing with in the market. Sure. So these micro pebble products um, really hit that niche and give these homeowners something with that right. less texture, but still the strength and durability that they're looking for. Yeah, I was just about to mention that. So the biggest complaint I hear all the time too is, oh, my friend has it, it scratches up her feet. And I'm like, well, with microfusion is a lot different. It's a really it's a, it's a a really nice texture. Right. It's just, you know it's there just enough, um, you know it's there just enough because you feel it on your yeah. feet, but it's not it's not rough or, or anything like that. So that's what's really nice about your product. Yeah, it definitely gives, um, gives put, 
puts mind at ease right. with that smoother texture, but still being able to get the pebble product. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and going back to your like your commercial white quartz, and anytime I've seen it, and I've seen the plastic, the guy, the trawlers put it on, it just lays on so creamy. Yeah. So they just enjoy it and really have a good time, uh, you know, putting it on. So yeah. It just comes out like the finish is just incredible on all your on all your products. So. Yeah, we have a, a an interesting phenomenon. Like the installers who start to use universal white cement never want to turn back because right. it's got such great workability, trailability. Um, it gives them that extra time to work if they need it. Um, and they just really enjoy it. So I always find that people uh, will try to switch or go to a different company that doesn't use yeah. the same cement. And then they're like, oh, you know, like I, yeah. they miss the universal cement. It's kind of, um, kind of like an addiction right. for these installers. So um, we've had great success with our pre-blends because um, it's allowed installers that might not use our cement to get a chance to use right. uh, our cement within our pre-blends as well. Right. Yeah, and that's why the strength of your concrete, going back to that, like 9,600 PSI, Right. Um, that's really incredible for plaster because like yeah. I said, everybody thinks plaster is waterproof. And for some reason in our industry, either you know, a lot of pool guys have said, oh, plaster is waterproof. As we know, plaster is not waterproof. Right. It's, it's, uh, but at 9,600 PSI, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty, that's getting watertight, uh, you know, pretty watertight right there. Right. So the beauty is really in the, the pozzolan. So when you're mixing cement with water, you know, that creates calcium hydroxide and that those compounds are super porous. So you, if you think about it, there's, uh, gaps in the cement right. and what the pozzolans do is they kind of fill those voids in. So they're making the product less, uh, it's more dense and then it's less susceptible to chemical attack. So if the chemicals get, can't get right. in there as well, um, then they're not going to deteriorate the finish as fast. And that's really where all the magic comes in is with the pozzolans. Right, absolutely. Like in Italy, you know, they've had pools right. there for centuries. That, right. You know, they're, they're still there and they don't leak water because yeah. they use pozzolans. I know. You know, from there. So that's really incredible that you guys incorporated that into your mixes. So, yep. yeah. So you also have something called um, radiant fusion. Right. Right, so, and that's your gla your glass fusion. Do you have glass beads in there? Yeah, right, so yeah. radiant fusion. Um, we take our micro pebble product and we combine that with 25% pebble radiance glass bead. It's a different, a couple different colors of blue um, and a white iridescent. So you get this super cool uh, blend of blue glass. It also has abalone shell blended straight into the bag, um, as does the micro fusion as well. But with that finish, um, everything again comes in one bag. The installers right. are are taking that 12 bags plus the pigment and creating the finish. And the beauty of that is when we're selling a product that has 25% glass, right. there's actually 25% glass in there. It doesn't right. give the ability for a job site mix where they're Right. adding whatever portion of glass is at their discretion. You know, right. they might broadcast it. Um, we want to truly know what's going into that mix. Right. So we just put it in there ourselves. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So going back to your installers, I know you have a certified installer program and a warranty. What's What, what, what does that incorporate? Right. So our certified installer program um, is a little bit different uh, because we're set by distribution. I usually like to send one of our trainers mm -hmm. up on the first job that... Um, an installer does, so myself or one of the trainers will go up there and oversee and make sure everything goes well. Um, and then from there, you know, if somebody's calling and asking for installers in the area, we can refer you and let them know that you're um, well-versed in our product. Um, the second part to that question the was- The warranty. Oh, yeah. warranty. Which everybody always wants to know about the warranty. Yeah, so, so um, 
Our warranty, we have a seven-year warranty on all of right. our pre-blends. And how our warranty differentiates, um, most warranties are on an aggregate. And right. rocks, as we know, last for millions and millions of years. They're right. not usually the failing component of a finish. So what we do, because we put all the ingredients in one bag, mm. we're warranting everything that comes in the bag. So the cement, the aggregate, uh, the abalone shell, wow. the glass, if there's a failure with any of those, we know that it came from us. You're right. not taking cement from this, aggregate from here and then trying to have to figure out what component failed um, we're just lumping it all together and warranting it all because we know where it came from and we know we put it in the bag great now quick question for you now uh, do you do like custom colors sometimes you do would a, would, a, would a pool contractor be able to go ahead and have a custom pigment color made with your with your product or? So what typically happens, um, all of our products come in a white base. Mm -hmm. So say you're getting it from distribution or the installer gets the product, um, it's got the aggregate, you know, all mm -hmm. the ingredients in the bag, and then it's a white base and they're adding the pigments to create the different colors. We run into it all the time where, um, you know, somebody's like, I want a purple pool or, you know, I want right. something out of the ordinary. Our products do allow for a little bit of diversity um, because you can add different pigments, uh, not always warrantyable depending right. on where you're getting uh, your uh, pigments from, but there is definite possibility to change things up and create something uh, new with that. Right, and going back to like uh, distribution, who do you guys uh, who do you guys go through? Um, so right now we're working with um, a lot of the NTP, NPT, SCP, um, SPP branches, uh, especially a lot locally here in Southern California, over in Texas a little bit, um, Nevada. Uh, a little bit of Arizona as well. So that would be the main um, way. We also do sell direct, but um, pr preferably going through one of those branches. They usually have everything in the system, so you can go right to them and ask for pricing or whatever it is. Right. So if someone was in Florida or even you know Connecticut or something, could they still contact you and absolutely. have some products shipped over to you? Oh, absolutely, them? yeah. We can um, either sell direct or hook them up with their local branch and get them what they need, absolutely. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, well, it's been a pleasure having you here. I believe in your product. <laughs> I think it's a, as a cement guy, you know, it's, just, it's awesome to see how well that stuff trials on yeah. and how durable it is. And and also how strong it is. So yeah. appreciate it. And um, we'll see you on the next go around. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. We appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about, um, you know, one of the one of the things on the Facebook page that really kind of blew up was uh, we showed one of your crews um, water blasting. Uh, and just uh, what I love about that and what we talked about quite a bit was the the advantage of water blasting is you're blowing off all the rebound you know you find all the bad areas of shotcrete uh, as well as you know being minimally invasive into that so talk about why you kind of went to that and why you've moved away from mechanical stripping okay so you're talking on the prep method for a replaster for a replaster right. correct um, well Dave, what you're asking about is on the prep method. The water blasting uh, that we use is a 40,000 psi um, water blasting uh, machine that actually uh, either um, it just uh, blows the plaster off or uh, or it makes it so rough uh, it creates what we call a very rough mechanical profile. And what happened over the years, you know, I, I was probably the first guy in Southern California to really start stripping any kind of volume pulls 25, 30 years ago because we have so many poles with two and three and four coats of plaster that were sandblasted and bond coated or just gone over. There's a lot of delamination issues back then. 
And so we were stripping those pulls down uh, to the original coat, then sandblasting and bond coating, and eventually just stripping everything, cause, and then we got really good at it. And we could, you know, a five, six-man crew was stripping two pulls a day. Hmm. It's painting piecework, you know, and they were going through it with chisels. And it was very, very production-oriented, good for us. And uh, at the time, it didn't seem like it was a, a problem. But as years went by, uh, so many of these pools uh, were stripped several times or were running in pools with so much soft gunite or a gunite that just wasn't quite where we wanted it and starting to have a lot of dig outs and problems with it. And um, also we're finding a lot of pools that were having a lot of structural issues where you're having to have major structural cracks in the shell itself, not just rebound cracks off the steps and benches, which... We see probably 50% of the pools we do, we have to have some type of rebound repair. It's epidemic now. Uh, but on the structural side, and um, so we knew, or I knew, that uh, it's going to come around when these pools are starting to break, especially on the hillside pools. And already it already happened. There's already case law out there where, uh, you know, the pool's broken, and somehow they're tying that into the stripping of the pool, and the engineers are saying, well, you know, removing gunite from a structure of a pool does not make it stronger, makes it weaker. And so there's that whole thing, okay, well, who made it weaker? Uh, you get to participate in rebuilding my swimming pool. Yeah. And uh, it's not if but when, because uh, you get a good engineer up there, and they ask you the question, they'll say, well, Mr. Smith, did you stripping that pool make it stronger or weaker? And, of course, you lose that argument. So uh, we decided to invest in the water blasting. Um, it's been around a while. Um, there's a guy here, in, two guys here in Southern California that have been doing it over 20, 25 years. Hmm. And, um, so that, but they kept it really quiet to themselves because it was a really good method for them. And then, of course, um, in Texas, one of our board members of the National Plasters Council, uh, Greg Musgrove, is doing it exclusively, and several other guys nationwide. And so the buzz, we were talking about that, and about six, seven years ago, I jumped into it. It's expensive. And I'm not gonna, I mean, to get the right truck, to tow it, and the cleanup equipment, everything, you're two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 to get the whole yeah. thing going properly. I mean, you can always cut corners and buy old used equipment. But um, once you get rolling and doing everything, it's, um, it's really worth it. And, you know, it's very efficient. You can cut through two, three coats of plaster. It creates a uh, bond unlike any other I've seen. I think it bonds better that than fresh rock open pore gunite mm. um, because it's, um, and if you've seen them before, it yeah. looks like coral yeah. when it's done. Yeah. And there's such a mechanical bond profile for it. The downside is it's extremely loud. Um, it costs a little bit more money because you've got to pay for all this equipment. And it kind of blows stuff everywhere, so you have to tent it. And if you tent it properly, it's it's very controllable. And, um, you know, people are worried about that much PSI, you know, coming out of the end of a gun. Is that dangerous? Mm -hmm. Well, it is if you point it at somebody. You just don't point it at anybody, right? right. So, um, yeah. But it's uh, been tremendous. We run two of those units right now, and I'm anticipating getting a third one, mm -hmm. just as a maybe potential subcontractor. So many people are asking us for it, and I can't get to them quick enough because we're booked out so far in our right. own jobs that we want to use those for not just plaster um, demo, but also structural demo. I mean, we're talking right. about looking at a pool where you actually have to take gunite out for a big structural crack repair or channeling for uh, plumbing going underneath. Well, this will see right through the gunite. It'll leave the steel alone, and it doesn't you know, rattle the crap out of it by jackhammering it. And uh, it goes three to four times faster than a jackhammer. Right. And uh, so... Uh, Without the trauma, too. I mean, Zero trauma. It's yeah. just water cutting through. 
And then you, then you just have the mess to clean up when you're done. It's a slurry, granular product, but uh, it's, you know, it's just a matter of learning how to deal with it like anything else, and then it's, um, mm-hmm. you get efficient at that too. So Sure. Yeah, outstanding. Yeah, I know. It, to me, it's like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna try to do more of that. Not that I do a lot of remodels, but you know, we do do a certain amount of construction remediation. Um, so to me, that's we're already getting to a shell that's questionable as it is. So for me, doing the water blasting is going to be like just a no-brainer. Well, I know um, there's a lot of shotcrete jobs, especially in the commercial um, arena, that the, you look at it and you, well, that shotcrete looks awfully smooth. Yeah, right. Well, I know Greg in uh, Texas is uh, he shot he blasts shotcrete pools almost weekly, commercial pools that are brand new that just need a better profile on them to get proper bonding. He'll go out, he doesn't have to lay on them as hard as yeah. a plaster job, but he gets on them very quickly and creates that really nice texture to it, so they don't have to worry about a, a delamination on a slick, smooth steel trowel, you know, uh, yeah. finished off on a shotcrete, which happens, you know, not a intentionally, lot. but it does, and. Um, and that's a really good method. And he just has on his face uh, book page him doing a great big, uh, like a, a water park uh, job. They, they really didn't trust that smoothness yeah. uh, for the new uh, application. Yeah, so. yeah, I think I saw that. They had a, <clears throat> quite a, a big slides, and yeah. it's it's a pretty big, good sized pool. Yeah. So yeah. So going back to like profiles, that's like really important because you know as we're getting more into waterproofing, you know more and more guys are getting into that. You know obviously the plaster has to go over that, and then you know the proper profile for shotcrete. There are standards out there for that. Can you get a little bit more into that or? Uh, standards for shotcrete. Well, no, for profiles. You know, for plaster. Like you don't like want how, it. Like you don't want it like too smooth or I mean. What? Yeah, this. I don't think there's really a standard that I know of written for that. Okay. It's just you know uh, open port enough to uh, receive a, a finish. Uh, just like on replastering pools, the, our guidelines in our, in our National Plasters Council, we probably have seven or eight different methods. Um, you know, uh, by what areas you're in, um, that's acceptable. If it sticks and it bonds, you know, uh, whether it's chemical or mechanical or however you're doing that, if it works, it works, right? Um, and, you know, some places just don't have the resources, maybe other places do or, or all that. But uh, as far as a guideline for the absolute um, porosity of a, a product uh, before plaster. I don't think we have that. You've got to use a lot of common sense mm-hmm. when it comes to that. You just have to look at it yourself yeah. and is it open. It can be fairly smooth, but also very porous, a right. lot of small holes. And if you see wet cement, uh, especially plaster or pebble, right. it is a fairly wet product. Right. And that cement, when it gets down into those fine pores, it, it, gets, it locks onto it and becomes what we call monolithic. Right. And uh, it just has to be big enough mm-hmm. for that. So, uh, but the water blasting, it, it's not dainty. Let's put it that way. It's right, a, yeah. It's a big, big, it looks like coral when yeah, it's done. Right. And so there's all kinds of things to grab onto. Um, even if it's not porous, just the, th- the roughness itself is enough for it to hang on to so many places. And we've been doing this almost seven years now. And uh, like we do, you know, six, 700 renovations a year. I dare say I've had one or two pools that we've actually gone back and found any kind of delamination. And they were like hamburger cantaloupe sized spots that for right. some reason it was, you know, we didn't get all the sand off. It was a little dusty or gritty from all the masonry work or something. And then it just, it just didn't stick to that. And it had a hollow an area and ended up developing a nodule. Right. And, uh, and that's it. I mean, I hate to where some wood, I'm going to knock on it right now, but you know, yeah. it's, uh, because before, even with strip pulls, we would have a, a, 
a low amount, but a fair amount that would still have delaminations. And then uh, for whatever the reason, sometimes it was rebound, yeah. thin layers of rebound coming off or whatever. But uh, eliminating having to redo four, five, ten pulls a year, yeah. um, that pays for a machine yeah. to buy. Yeah, real quick. Right? Very, very quickly, just the overhead part on that or helps with it. And then, um, so yeah, that's, uh, but I don't know if there's a real standard for that to yeah. answer that right. honestly. Yeah, I think where, where I see... Uh, in new construction at least um, like when we're building infinity edge walls you know we will form that real hard uh, and and typically we put our forms on the basin side rather than on the pool side and then shoot against it uh, and you strip that form and it's really really smooth so we're having to prepare that before we're starting to float for tile um, and there's know, bond coat you can put on that that will stick to that you know if, if you wanted to do it that way or you know roughing it up with something else mechanically um, but you know as yeah. much about that as I do as far as yeah. that. So, but, uh, right. yeah. yeah, one of the questions uh, that you touched on a little bit that I did want to touch on today was nodules. Uh, and, and, you know, you throw that out on a forum and everybody's got different theories and, and this uh, and yeah, that. that one's it's, fun. it's always been my thought that it's uh, exactly like you said, um, not prepped well enough, a little bit of dust, a little bit. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a spot that is a delamination. And for the most part, you know, I've heard people oh, it's the spikes, they should never wear spikes anymore and all of that. And yeah, you may have that on occasion, but I've always thought it's been a lack of proper prep. Uh, is that, you know, can you talk to that as, as yeah. you understand it? We're about ready to put out a video just specifically on calcium nodules from the National Plasters Council <clears throat> because, again, there's so much misinformation on that. Um, it, it's really not a mystery. It's basically what a calcium nodule is. It's dissolved uh, calcium salts coming to the surface well what's dissolving it and why is it coming to the surface and where is it getting that calcium salt from well if you have a delamination like you're talking about you can have an area where the plaster didn't properly bond the substrate for whatever reason and within that lack of bonding or it's touching there you know when cement hydrates it forms calcium compounds there's five different calcium compounds and it goes into all the voids and microstructures and any gaps. Well, that's a gap if it didn't bond. And it'll develop a fair amount of, we'll call it a reservoir. If water can get down to that from the pool and hit that, it can dissolve it, especially if it's aggressive water or it wants to dissolve calcium. And it'll pull it out through what's called a fluctuation crack. That's if it's not bonded properly, it'll have a little vibration or movement. It could have a little shrink crack across it. And once it starts to come out and it has that reservoir, you get a fairly large nodule. And that's one, and that's very obvious. But then we run across, and around here, 90% of the nodules I see, there is no delamination. You knock on it, it's solid as can be. Well, if there's no delamination, where's it coming from? Well, it's the same principle. The water is still getting within the, the internal, um, it's getting into the internal complexion of the cement itself. In other words, the, uh, the uh, microstructure, I'm sorry. And then if you look inside of uh, plaster, pebble, whatever, it's a series of shrink cracks and microfusion, uh, um, we call um, just uh, around the sand aggregates themselves, you have little places where the cement touches everything. And all those areas get filled with calcium hydroxide. 
And when the water can get to some of these things and it can actually start to dissolve it, it'll pull out in a nodule itself. Mm-hmm. And um, so like they said around here, most of the ones we see are that way. I mean, uh, we film them, we show them, they're all on the walls. Well, okay. you know, you don't walk on the walls with spikes. If you right. did, that's pretty good, right? right. Um, and, uh, and, but the way we test it is you just basically, you can either tap on it and if it's hollow, it's probably a D-lime. If it's not hollow, it's just coming right out of the cement itself. And uh, we will do a core sample, core it out and look at it. And sure enough, it doesn't go past the back of the plaster. It's coming out internally by finding a, a, you know, a resource of calcium through the microstructures. Uh, and uh, those calcium nodules are typically much, much smaller because they don't have as much calcium to pull from as the delamination area. And um, what I tell people, well, you know, if you think it's a delamination, knock on it. If it's not hollow, do a core sample. And if it is coming off, uh, you know, then obviously there's a delamination warranty that'll help cover for that. If it's not, um, but the water has to be aggressive enough to dissolve it and pull right. it out. Yeah. And uh, aggressive enough means negative on the saturation index. So, and, uh, you know, some parts of the country you see a lot less than others for some reason. Um, but throughout the Southwest, where I have most of where I talk to people about it, uh, they're everywhere. I mean, uh, yeah. And, uh, of course, the finger pointing will start, you know, huh, on all those. But, uh, but typically, it has to have something to dissolve that product. But, you know, you obviously thought, you know, what a lot of people think, it has to be a delamination. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and it's a it very, very that. simple test to that and just tap on it. Right. And then, uh, but like I said, around here in this area, um, in, in our warranties, um, I have it in there. We're not responsible or we will not warranty a nodule. I can't control it. You know, I mean, I warranty right. what I can control. Now, if there's a delamination and it's coming off, sure, I'll warranty that. Um, but uh, a nodule itself is, uh, I, there's nothing I can do as a plaster to keep a nodule from happening. You can even have a, an area of delamination and it's hollow, and it's been hollow for 30 years mm-hmm. without a nodule, right? And it's just, for whatever reason, the water hasn't broken down the product underneath it and pulled it up. So... Um, yeah, and uh, we're getting ready to put out a video here very quickly from the National Plasters Council. Uh, we have John Dongell, uh, you know, uh, talking uh, on that, and he's the uh, head tech guy for uh, Pebble Tech, and he explains the nuance of how cement hydrates and how these micro uh, fusion cracks or microstructure cracks um, develop and how water percolates down and, and does all that. And uh, so he's putting science behind it, and I'm kind of doing some color on the thing and uh it'll it'll really help a lot i think that's a good question and uh and if you didn't know how it all works and how cement hydrates and water reacts to it and what's natural about hydrating cement you wouldn't know and it, it'd be a best guess like you're saying because plenty of pools that have these big delamination areas got these gigantic nodules barfing out all over the place and so they think it's doing that it must do it over here but there's several different reaction yeah and i think mechanisms. Uh, you know, we're really starting to understand water chemistry even more these days, and and just this whole move this last year or so um, against cyanuric acid, and really learning. You know, I mean, when your cyanuric acid gets too high, you really most of the guys are not accounting for that in their testing, uh, and so their water is quite a bit more aggressive than what they're thinking, and so um, you well, know, I could see that yeah. a lot. And new for you in the last year, we've been preaching it for 25 years. Right. So, uh, but nobody listens to us because we're just a bunch of pool plasters, right? What do we know? So, uh, 
But uh, yeah, we've been uh, pointing that out ever since in uh, Table K and the Taylor Test Kit has been talking about the adjustment factor for 30 years ago they printed that and it's been in there and uh, nobody's paid much attention to it. Even Bob Lowry's books, he's talked about it and they just never really put measured alkalinity and carbon and alkalinity together and what the drawback is and the saturation index and how that's affected. But uh, yeah, cyanuric acid is, um, is uh, misused, as uh, Paul Loomis used to say from Arch Chemical, is the root of all evil. You know, the misuse of it. Yeah. Tricolor is a great product, yeah. properly used, just like so many other things. Sure. Uh -huh. Does like if you have like bad shock, we all know that waterproof uh, plaster is not waterproof. So if you really have a bad shockery shell, how does that affect like the the plaster? Does you know does like calcium come through? Can it start you know? Well, bad in what way? Like, well, it's like really porous or, or you know low low mix design. It's only like a a, a lot of the pools around here, unfortunately, they're twenty five hundred psi dry mix you know shockery. Um, you know, you tear, you strip off the plaster, and you can just see how porous they are and how tan they are. And mm -hmm. you know, does that water when it gets through the plaster? Does that have a, any effect on, you know, some of the you know staining on the plaster or anything? Or you mean from the backside? From the backside through? coming through. You know, that's a really good question. I have my theories on that mm -hmm. from just natural observation over the years, plastering so many new pools and then redoing older pools because. Here's here's my little bit of theory on that, and I'll throw this out there, and this is totally for comment, you know. Um, this is part one of a two-part series that you will not want to miss. Be sure to check back next week for the conclusion of this two-part series. Thanks for listening to the Acid Masters podcast, and don't forget to check out our Facebook page each week on Tuesdays for new episodes of the show. I also want to encourage you to stop by the Ask the Masters Facebook page and invite other like-minded individuals to join us there as well. Feel free to jump into the conversations and even post your own questions. We want to create a community which fosters learning and discovery for the betterment of us all. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please be sure to subscribe and feel free to share.